KFI AM 640, Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Let's talk about what is love. Love is what we have inside our head based on the kind of attachment style we had with primary caregivers early in life. So you have this blueprint for love in your head, right? And you go out in your adult romantic life and you find someone who will fit that pattern that you believe is love. Now, You may have had love that involved neglect, abandonment, emotional abuse, physical abuse. And guess what? This becomes part of your jigsaw puzzle of love that you go out and try to find the missing piece to. So even if love was painful, it is familiar. Your brain knows it can survive that. Not quite sure if it can survive happiness, right? It used to be thought, and surprisingly not that long ago, that babies loved their mother because their mother fed them. I'm not joking. It was a food-related thing. Like, they only love you because you feed them, and that whoever would feed them, they would just become attached to. But somebody proved this wrong, and his name was a researcher, psychologist named Harry Harlow. Separated from his mother since the day of his birth. Literally, his life hangs by a thread. A soft cheesecloth pad that is his only companion, his only comfort. Once a day, the pad is removed for cleaning. This is the laboratory of psychologist Harry Harlow. Distressed. Permanently deprived. He is studying monkeys to better understand human relationships. He may die for want of love. Harlow believes he can use science to study love. With a series of pioneering experiments, he explores territory where few scientists have ventured. Harlow said that there was such a thing as a science of love. Harry Harlow's work was groundbreaking. The video, which appears all over YouTube from the 1950s, were very disturbing uh, images of baby monkeys separated from their mothers, alone in cages. And one of his landmark studies actually showed a kind of wire cage, scary looking, uh, robot looking mother that was full of dripping milk and food. On the other side of the cage was a soft, cuddly, furry, stuffed animal of a mother. And they thought that the little monkey, if he only loved who fed him, would spend most of his time over at the mother that was full of milk. But it was so sad, and the video is all out there on YouTube, to see little baby monkeys almost starving themselves to death, cuddling up on the soft furry monkey because they were afraid of the hard wire monkey. And what we learned is that children, and and as these, these young monkeys grew up, of course, they were filled with behavior problems and psychopathology. And so it became clear that all primates and probably all animals have attachment behaviors early in life that shape their mental and their physical health. The grandfather of attachment theory is a dude named John Bowlby. And John Bowlby was a British developmental psychologist and psychiatrist 
uh, he, he, by little side, his dad was like the surgeon to the queen, the royal family. So he was raised very highbrow, which meant in Victorian England or in the early uh, last part of the 18th century, uh, 19th century, let me get it right. Um, you, you probably only saw your parents seven or eight minutes a day because you were raised by a nanny in the upper class in England. And when he was four years old, his beloved nanny, Reed attachment figure, was, well, we don't know if she was fired, but she abruptly left the house. And he remembers going through attachment trauma with the loss of this nanny. He would go on to create the most studied, widespread theory on personality development and attachment because of this. And it began really in the 1930s and 40s when germ theory came around uh, because we had discovered that, oh my gosh, we could infect people with our biological germs, hospitals started changing their policies. And when sick children were put in the hospitals, they were told, uh, parents were told, don't visit them. Don't visit them. And when we come back, I will tell you what happened to those children once they recovered from their physical illness. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Continuing our conversation about childhood separation from their primary caregivers and later adult psychological ramifications, if you will. Um, I was talking about John Bowlby, and he was actually working in these hospital settings in the 1930s and 40s. And... Uh, he, these kids would be in the hospital and told, your parents can't visit because, um, you know, they could infect you with germs. Germ exposure was the big fear back then. And some of these kids were really sick and kept in hospital for weeks, months even. And John Mulby noticed that they would cry for a while and not be picked up, not be loved. And then after a while, the crying would stop. And the nurses and doctors would say, oh, they became such an easy child at this point. They're not complaining anymore because that crying was just so annoying, right? But then when these kids were released from hospital and sent home to their parents, the parents came back to the doctors and said, wait a sec, that's not our child you sent home. You've sent this unruly child, this child who is dispassionate, who does not love us anymore. And this something went off. In John Bowlby's head, he had to figure out what this separation was doing. And he later came across, um, sadly, an unlikely, unlikely huge population of children to study. The World Health Organization asked him after World War II to study what happened to children who were separated during the war. These included Jewish children who were shuttled out of Nazi-owned territories in the kinder transport program. English children who were sent on trains out of London to the countryside to stay with a family or friends or wherever. And he started studying them intently. Eventually, um, a young Canadian psychologist, uh, Mary Ainsworth, came over to work with him. And she was very instrumental in continuing the research on attachment theory. I'm going to jump ahead a few decades and just cut to the chase and tell you what the results are. Research is very clear. The trauma of forced separation can cause long-lasting physical and emotional effects on children. It can change how they process information 
Yes, it can affect their academic potential. It can change how they react to stress, how they develop executive function and decision-making skills. And because these kids are like hypervigilant later in life, reactive to stress, they are more prone to inflammation and disease. There is also research to show that attachment trauma early in life is linked to increased aggression, decreased capacity for empathy, and increase in domestic violence. Here's what happens. Damaged babies always find each other in adult romantic relationships. I often say that damaged babies find a new playpen in adult life, and it's called a bed. And they meet together. They do an unconscious handshake and say, hey, you're going to treat me the way my abandoning daddy did? Cool. You're going to be there like my violent mother? Great. It's on. Our blueprint for love is matched. So I want to give you a quote from John Bowlby himself. He died in 1990. His son still continues the theory. Um, it's worldwide studied. Bowlby said, Threat of loss arouses anxiety, and actual loss gives rise to sorrow, while both of these situations are likely to arouse anger. The unchallenged maintenance of a bond however, is experienced as a source of joy. If you're listening and you were lucky enough to have one or two parents or other quality, consistent attachment figures, you are more likely to graduate from college, to marry, to have fewer divorces, to have healthier children, to have a healthier body. You are gifted because of this early life attachment. So the question I come back around to again, as a people who want to protect ourselves and protect our borders, is it possible to have mercy and also have justice? And the answer is, again, without getting too far into the world of policy, public policy, um, I think we need to revamp things and we need to think about both those concepts. Let's talk a little bit about our love lives. There are four ways that adversity, whether it's abuse or separation, can really give us a backward understanding for love. Remember, we form this blueprint, this roadmap for love at the hands of our primary attachment figures, our parents, or whoever else is our primary attachment figure. And here are four things that can happen to us. First of all, love could be an absolute mystery, right? There are so many people who don't even have a model for love in their heads, they don't know what it is. They will often write to me, or when they call in when we do our should I stay or should I go segment, this is what I hear. I hear somebody who doesn't have an idea of what love is because love was so chaotic as a child. Um, they will say something like, well, I don't exactly know what love is. Or they, they depend on Hollywood's version. Oh, love is something magical. Or I haven't found it yet. It's obviously just about finding the right person. I'm sorry, but love is a skill. It's not just luck. It's not about finding the right person. Relationships don't make you happy. 
But happy people have happy relationships. Also, people who have suffered trauma in their childhoods often commingle love with pain. Believe it or not, there are many people believe that love is painful and that it's supposed to hurt and that means it's real love. That's how their definition of love gets messed up. Other people believe love has to be sacrifice because so many people grew up lacking love and care. So later in life, what they do is they become absolutely selfless. They become people pleasers. They think if I do everything for this person, this person won't leave me. But inside they feel empty. They feel anxious. And lastly, I think the worst thing that can happen to people who have suffered attachment trauma or abuse early in life is they believe they are unlovable. They experience such feelings of deep self-loathing, depression, low self-esteem, emotional and behavioral problems. They have a terrible time with relationships because I really do believe that you cannot expect anyone to love you back unless you love yourself first. You have to model self-love in order to attain love. Easy dream you just had, and I'm going to tell you what I think it meant. But before that, can we talk a little bit about depression? Uh, there are some statistics everyone should know about. And did you know some of the meds you're on could be actually causing depression? You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. I'm going to talk about happy stuff. After this segment, you guys are going to call me with your wild and wacky fun dreams. You're going to talk to Joey, my producer. He's going to put you on the air and we're going to have a field day with some of your fun dreams. I'm going to give out the number now, but we're not opening the lines until after this segment. It is 1-800-5201-KFI. 1-800-520-1534. But first, and you're wondering, like, why is she continuing on the Debbie Downer nonsense? I'll tell you why. Because it's all linked. Separation of children at the border. Separation of and abuse and trauma of some of us in our lives. How it impacts our capacity to love. And one other way that it impacts are rising depression rates. I gotta say that... It's fascinating that we are at a time of the greatest influence in history. Influence? Maybe that too. Affluence in history. But also we have the highest depression rates and the highest suicide rates. How is this possible? Last week I talked about how there's a little intergenerational psychology that plays a part in this. In other words, we are in some ways living out the trauma of our parents and our grandparents. Um, I had a great conversation with someone the other day who is the son of two Holocaust survivors. And when I posited to him this idea about intergenerational psychology and how we're um, supposed to live out the trauma of our parents, um, he said something spectacular because he was a very happy, joyful person. And he said, you know, I lived with the guilt of my great life here. And that's, you know, survivor's guilt is a big thing, especially for um, children of Holocaust survivors. Um, And he said, I realized that part of my job is to live out the joy that my ancestors missed out on. And I was like, what a positive way to look at it. I mean, I had tears in my eyes. I was like, whoa, what a great way to think of it. Instead of focusing only on having to live out their trauma and depression, what about turning it around and going, this is why I'm so filled with gratitude for how great my life is. I'm living my joy for them because they, I am here because of all 
um, the struggles that they had, all the sacrifices they made. So having said that, I still want to talk a little bit about depression because it is so prevalent in our culture. And specifically, um, one in three Americans are taking some kind of psychotropic medication. That says something. And I always want to know why. And before I get too deep in the why, I just want to say one thing. For those who don't know what a major depressive episode is, you lucky dog, first of all. Yes, there are people who slide right through life, never have seasonal affective disorder, never have postpartum depression, never have any kind of major depressive disorder. So maybe you don't know what it is. So let me tell you from the rest of us. Um, they may People who suffer from a major depressive disorder, that these symptoms have to last at least two weeks or so. Uh, sleep issues, either difficulty sleeping or sleeping way too much, changes in appetite and weight, decreased energy and fatigue almost all day, difficulty concentrating, making decisions and thinking clearly, that kind of brain fog feeling. Uh, sometimes there's even <clears throat> bodily stuff, psychomotor agitation, uh, recurrent thoughts of death or suicide, obviously, the, uh, and having a specific plan for suicide. That could be a symptom of a major depressive disorder. Um, 16.2 million adults in the United States, that's, uh, equals to about 66.7% of all adults have experienced a major depressive disorder. Now, some of us like me experience this, the small little children of major depressive disorder, seasonal affective disorder, for instance, during the long, dark days of summer. Why do you think I immigrated here from Canada? As soon as I got into the sunshine, I was like, Oh, I feel so happy. Uh, and I even find it when I go home for a couple weeks at Christmas and it, the sun's setting at four o'clock and it's coming up at 9 a.m. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I got to need to get in front of a bright lamp. Um, also, postpartum depression. I, I experienced that. Hmm, great fun that is. Um, all right, so it's prevalent. This we know. And did you know that the medication you're taking, and I'm not talking about medication for depression. I'm talking about medication in general, may cause depression. There's this new study that was done from 2005 to 2014 of 26,000 adults. We call that a longitudinal study with a huge, big study number. These are ones we pay attention to. Uh, it's the findings show that 15% of Americans are simultaneously using three or more medications that could cause depression. Interesting. And I know you want to know what they are. Where's the laundry list of what they are? It's not even on this list. Uh, I know that sometimes um, antibiotics can even cause uh, depression. Also, some uh, birth control pills can cause depression. Also, some drugs can knock out the effects of your antidepression if you are antidepressive, if you are. I did uh, find some of those uh, medications what are are they? on the list. So uh, Prilosec or Zantac for uh, acid reflux. Oh. Uh, Xanax uh, for anxiety, of course. Uh, those are just a few of the ones named in the new study. So. so here we are, again, a time of great affluence. We are rich, fat, and happy, right? That's how we're supposed to be. But instead, we're suffering from depression. Now, you know, because I'm on this soapbox all the time, that food is a big one. And this area of nutritional psychiatry is so interesting to me. Just know this, that your brain is always working. Even when you're sleeping, it's reorganizing. Like those dreams you're about to call me with, reorganizing. And it controls unconsciously your heartbeat, your breathing, all your senses, all your thoughts. And it eats up 30% of the calories you consume every day. 30%. Just go to your brain. So like an expensive car... 
your brain functions best when it gets premium fuel? The answer is get off processed food. Eat real food. Reduce your consumption of starches and sugars. Remember, all pasta, rice, and bread turns into sugar, glucose in your body. It can cause plaque on your arteries. It can cause uh, plaque that could lead to your Uh, It can cause inflammation that can lead to diabetes, plaque on your carotid artery that could lead to a stroke. Um, It can make you have many chronic illnesses. And finally, before I go, I just want to say one thing. Probiotics, probiotics, probiotics. Did I say probiotics? Yes. They've actually done studies on people taking probiotics, and it makes their outlook a little bit happier. Many people. All right, when we come back, can I do my drive-by makeshift dream analysis? Give me a call. We're opening up the lines now. 1-800-520-1KFI. That is 1-800-520-1534. 520-1534. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. It's Dr. Wendy Walsh with my... Drive-by makeshift dream analysis. I just want to say to all the people that are calling and waiting, hang on the phone. I'm going to get to you. The number is 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. And I also want everyone to know who's listening that if any feelings come up because of something I say with you, this isn't therapy. This is entertainment. And do seek out supportive licensed clinical therapist to help work through some of your feelings because you unknowingly may be passing me messages <laughs> that you might not be ready to hear. Remember, dreams are pre-conscious material. So maybe we can make them conscious. Let's start out with Nicole. Hi, Nicole. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Nicole. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Tell me about your awesome. dream. Okay, so I'm Freshly single, like as of like a week ago, oh. and, but I like I'm going through one of those depression phases. Okay, so and, and I, this is what's happening in real life, not the dream, right? Yeah, this, yeah, the yeah. Situation. So much, like, okay. Every, yeah. Since then, like all my dreams are like super duper slow motion. Like it, it doesn't uh. matter what's going on. I feel like I'm suspended in like quicksand. Like I, I even I try to run and it's like, mm. like I like. I hear my ex-girlfriend's voice. I hear other people's voices. I can't hear what they're saying because I'm trying to run and I can't go anywhere. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is a number of different dreams that have the same theme. Could you give me one specific dream? I know you mentioned quicksand. You want to go with that one? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I could, it was my my ex yelling at me and it was one of our friend's voices on the side saying, uh, there's stuff that you don't know and, and, uh, She's not the person she says she is, but I don't know, like, I don't know what that could, like, I know her, and I think she's the same person that I know she is. We just didn't get, you know, it wasn't mission. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's like, I just tried to run away from their voices, and it, it was like my legs were just stuck. My whole body's stuck. I can't even pump my arm. Wow. Okay. So, let me say this, is that every person and thing in the dream is always a piece of us. And right now you're going through, you know, some a pretty major crisis, right? A breakup. Because our yeah. primary romantic relationship is our emotional lifeline. And when you break up, whether you did it or they did it, there's still a cutting of an umbilical cord, right? And it's fascinating. So you're going in slow motion and you can't seem to get out. And I will tell you this. This is not just pre-conscious material. This is pieces of you coming to terms 
with what really happened because that's what we do when we break up. We're trying to sort it, you know, it rolls around our head. He said, she said, she said, she said, she said, what should we, right? So Yeah, yeah, it was definitely not a queen breakup, but yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and the fact that this voice in your head said there's stuff that you don't know, I would call your gut feeling telling yeah. you like, that, you know, that you didn't, of course, we, we, we're not inside somebody's head. We don't know every part of them. We think we do. And I think it is, this is, this dream is showing you how you're doing a reckoning about the relationship. And remember, dreams are kind of when our brain does the laundry and it cleans out a lot of stuff. Uh, it's like our laundry cycle. Um, and, and so I, and it's flushing out bad feelings, bringing in new. And so I think this is a really positive work in process kind of dream. And I would start to write it down and keep up with it. I would, when you go to sleep tonight, ask yourself to remember your dream really well and let it come up. Cool. Okay, cool. Nicole. Okay. And good luck to you. I hope Thank you, you find much. another fabulous relationship. You sound like you I'm deserve sure it. I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. Okay, Shelly. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Shelly. <laughs> Hi. She's laughing. What kind of dream did you have? That's so it, funny. <laughs> it was just so weird. And first of all, I must say, I did have two pieces of processed sliced cheese before I went back to sleep this morning at 5 a.m. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, get this one. So, uh, that blonde lady from the TV show Cheers. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, was at the end of my driveway, and she started singing a song that sounded kind of like, you know, Vera Lynn about, you know, the World War II. They're always being England. But get this one. And it turns into ooh e ooh ah ah Okay, sing it for me, because I'm not I, getting it. No way. I'm not going to do that. I hate that song. ooh e ooh ah ah something bing bang. Okay. Yeah. And you hate but, the song. Well, yeah, I know. So I don't understand why it's bashing into my uh, dream. Okay. So let me ask you this. Oh, did you okay. want to give me any more details? Oh, well, I just ran like a cartoon person with my hands over my ears up the street, and uh, that was about the end of that one. Okay. Ran like a cartoon person. Interesting. Well, you know, when you have yeah, yeah, your yeah. hands over your ears, it's not very uh, yeah. easy to do. Okay. So let me okay. say this. First of all, during the dream... Yeah. What would you say, Shelley, was the strongest emotion you felt in this dream? Confusion. Confusion. Yeah. But you covered your ears and ran. What made you? What made you run? Well, the song. So the song bothered you. It disgusted you. Is yeah. Well, no, it was just so irritating and irritating. I'm surprised that uh, the the blonde lady from the TV show was standing in my driveway singing it. Yeah, really. What the heck? Yeah. I- I'm going to go out on a limb, Shelley, and I'm going to say something right now. Do you listen to the show very often? Yes. People have called me very cheerful, cheer lady. Oh, and I happen to be blonde. Oh, and most people listen to me when they drive. Oh. Just saying in the driveway. And sometimes I do kind of sing. And sometimes I can be irritating to some people. Oh. So, oh. and hands over the ears. So I'm thinking that... Listening to the show sometimes makes you feel a little bit confused. And you both want to listen and you want to run away. At 5 o'clock in the morning? No, you listen to my show in the afternoon. 
Oh, but yeah, in the dream, know, it was but, in the morning. But this happened. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I wasn't, you know, planning. Do you know what on, time? You know what time but, you were born? Uh, no, oh. no, I don't. Interesting. So, um, I, I, I just think that there is some stuff you need to hear. Okay. I don't know what it is, but I would keep your ears open, and when you All go right. to sleep tonight, ask yourself to keep your hands down and listen to your dreams because there's your unconscious is trying to tell you something for sure, and you're irritated by that. Well, I hope it's not going to be that song again. No. <laughs> Shelly, thanks for calling. Maybe it'll be a different song. Uh, who knows what it'll be? Monster Mash? What? No. That'll be a fun one. Thanks for calling, Shelly. Okay, okay well, let's thanks. move on. I, okay. I don't know. Thanks. I don't know who, uh, if we have time for one more. Do we? Yeah, we got a minute. Let's start one. Uh, who is this? I can't even read it on the screen in orange. Ski? S-K-I? Is that what's written on the screen? S-K-I in orange? Hi. What, what's your name? It's called Witch Dog Ski, like in snow. Oh. Hi, Ski. Let, let's hit the slopes. So, uh, so that song was called Witch Doctor. Oh, Witch in Doctor. 1958 by, uh, oh, I forget the dude's name. But it's ooh-ah-ah-ting-tang, walla-walla-bing-bang. Oh, you're going to drive Shelly crazy now. She's going to cover her ears right now, Ski. <laughs> Okay, tell me about your dream. I had a prophetic dream. Oh? I meet my brother a couple times a month. This is is in real life? Is this in real life? This is in real life. Okay. And I dream I hit a jackpot. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, last night, I hit four out of five on the Fantasy Five in the (gasps) California lottery. (gasps) Congratulations! (laughs) 500 bucks. $500, $500, and you dreamt about it. So I really believe, I have a lot of prophetic dreams, just to let you know. And, and they're usually like not super concrete and literal, but they're kind of within the realm of what happens. And I'm like, wow, I dreamed this. Uh, so yeah. I, I really think that our unconscious knows all. I really do. And when two people meet, for instance, I think their unconsciouses do kind of a handshake. And oh, they, absolutely. they know stuff about each other. Well, congratulations, absolutely. Ski. We have to go to commercial, but I am so happy to hear that you All won right. $500. Hey, I, I went to like you on Facebook, but uh-huh. I haven't got a response yet. Okay. But you will know Ski. Okay. <laughs> there are actually two Facebook accounts. One is full, and the other oh. one is Dr. Wendy Walsh. One is Wendy Walsh. That's my friends and family, but apparently I have 5,000 friends and family. But the other oh. one is Dr. Wendy Walsh. So. Thanks, Ski. Have fun. All right, when we come back, we have some more people waiting. If you have a dream, give me a call, 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. You're welcome to follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Be nice, everybody, and cordial, even if we may politely disagree sometimes. I still want to hear from you. Uh, So uh, let's start with Jackie. We're doing my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. Hi, Jackie in San Diego. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Dr. Wendy. I admire you. Oh, thank Uh, you so much. Anyway, since I was a young lady, Uh I've I've had dreams about... Being lost. Mm-hmm. I will park my car somewhere, and I'll go into a building, and I when I come out, I can't find my car. I have no idea where it is. Mm-hmm. I, I will go into a strange town to go shopping or whatever, 
can't find my way back. I don't even know where I am. Mm-hmm. I have felt like I have never been loved. Mm. And I, 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 years ago, I was going to write a book about dreams because I analyzed them. I did a lot of research on dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you can remember your dreams in the morning. Mm-hmm. If you, when you're going to sleep, put a piece of paper and a pencil beside your nightstand. I do that. And when, and when you put your REM, when you're going into your REM, and when you wake up, Write it down as quick as can. One word, two word, whatever. And I've done it, and it works. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've always felt like I have never been loved. And when I get into a relationship, I give 95%. going to cry. Oh, Jackie, it's okay. Um, so, I, you know, sometimes I... I don't know. I I park my car when I go somewhere in a shopping center. I park my car in the same spot all the time mm-hmm. because I'm afraid when I come out, I'm not going to find it. Mm-hmm. So then I say, well, I know where it is. So, I mean, I've been doing this since I was 15, 20 years old. Were you listening to my show earlier today when I was yeah. talking about how some people who have attachment injuries have like no model for love? They can't figure it out, like, what is love? And here, it's interesting that you're telling me about a dream that has to do with being lost, being unable Mm -hmm. to find your car, the thing that transports you around life, being in a strange town with strange people. Mm -hmm. And this is, I'm sorry to say, a beautiful metaphor for that kind of attachment anxiety. It's like, you don't feel loved because you feel lost around love and you don't know what it is and people feel like strangers to you. And so what you're doing is going through life being precise, precise about where you park. And probably I would sense you're a pretty organized person. You, oh, oh, to the T. To the T. Organize everything because this is how we can control what we do know. So I I think that you should go back to that dream notebook and Mm -hmm. I want you to ask your unconscious tonight to dream about feeling safe and secure in a town that's not strange, with a car that's not lost. Do some lucid dreaming as you're falling asleep even and pull up the last dream you can remember about this and change it a little bit. Because you are driving the controls, and I think it can really help you in your life. You know what? All right, yes, I will do that, absolutely. But I am the most independent, secure woman that anyone knows, traveled around the world, different cultures, every continent, Mm -hmm. met all kinds of cultures. There's times when I've never cried for like 10 years, never cried. Mm-hmm. Yep. This and is... then there's times when I cry all the time. Yeah. So I just feel, I don't know, I just feel lost. I had to call you when it was. Oh, I'm sorry, Jackie, but I, I do feel like okay. This, okay. this is a great dream to take to therapy, to talk about some okay. stuff that might yeah. have happened in early childhood. And remember, sometimes being independent and a world traveler means sometimes that you're afraid of dependency and depending on people Ooh. because you don't trust Ooh. love. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. One word, trust, 
trust, trust, trust. I yeah. never trust a person. Exactly. Exactly. I never, never. Jackie, thank Anybody. you for calling. I'm so sorry I have to cut you off because I want to spend all night on the phone. But thanks, Jackie. Good luck to you. Okay, let's go to David. David in San Diego. Oh, we got two San Diegos in a row. Hi, David. It's Dr. Wendy. And uh, thank you for uh, taking my call and answer. Uh, first time listener, I was just goofing around with the AM looking for a good station, and I'm glad I heard your voice. And you started talking about dreams, so I'm like, I was. Uh, really uh, interested. Okay, now, David, and they're uh, telling me we have to go to a break, and I know you waited a long time, but can I ask you to wait through the break because I do want to hear your dream? Sounds good. It sounds, okay. like, it sounds creepy and crawly with a basement <laughs> and a nightmare. Oh, my gosh. have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you doing my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. I love your dreams. We have a few people waiting. Let's see if we can get to them all in this segment. David from San Diego, thank you so much for waiting so long. So tell me about this nightmare. Okay, thank you. And uh, a question about the nightmares. Why is it that dreams, they seem to dissipate in the morning, but there are certain dreams, or night I call them nightmares, that you can remember in detail. Anyway, so what happens oh. is usually we remember our dreams when they're, uh, we're kind of rising out of our deepest REM sleep where we're dreaming the most. So people will most often remember their dreams from early morning, but they are dreaming all through the night of different times. But those ones that stay with them, that's why I tell people like, you know, don't even get up and go to the bathroom. As soon as you start to wake and you're half asleep, half awake, stick onto that dream, pull some keywords from it. And jot them down on a piece of paper before you get up. And then you can go back and write it out later. And that'll help you remember it. So, Great let's, point. Great let, point. let's hear about the nightmare. Okay. Well, I'm in this big building. And it kind of reminded me of my grade school back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it had an uh, audience uh, and a stage. And I'm going behind the curtain. And I'm going through doors, opening and closing doors, opening and closing doors. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming around the stage. And I'm going back behind the curtain. I'm doing this several times. And uh, one time, I, uh, going through the doors, this guy comes out. And he's like an officer in the Navy with green fatigues. And uh, I thought he was an enemy. So I push him up against the wall. And I had my hand on his throat. I was trying to choke him. Oh. And he, you know, it was ineffective. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, I'm your friend. I'm here to help you get out. So I said, okay, oh. that, that, that went away. I kept on going through the doors. And then I see myself in this basement. It's unfinished. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like one of these cement things. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of dark and gloomy. And, and there's a window, a small horizontal window that slides open, which, by the way, reminds me of the window in my bathroom. In okay. my house, I'm renting in Ocean Beach. Anyway, so um, uh, uh, I crawl out the window, and I say, mm-hmm. I'm finally out of this nightmare. And then uh, I take a deep breath and I let the sun shine on me. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, after a moment, I go back into the basement. I said, there's things I have to do. Uh-huh. I wind up in this, yeah, same scenario. Now, at the same time, it was been two, that was like 2011, and I broke up with my girlfriend. It, it, she was just wonderful. So anyway, it's a long story there. But it was to, uh, two days ago that I was thinking out loud. I thought that when my dad died in 2013 is when I left the basement, got out, and, and went back to Chicago, and I spent a month, and I spent some time reflecting on my life. Mm-hmm. But I was talking out loud. I was thinking out loud. And I said something I can't even remember, but it said, no, 
the time, the two years I spent with my girlfriend was the time I actually was able to have the sunshine on me, take a deep breath. Get out that window. Enjoy. Okay. Okay. Here we go, David. You ready for this? There was a lot in there, but I was hearing it with a different level of my brain. So how fascinating that the big building that you entered, of course, reminds you of your grade school. That tells me that there was something that happened developmentally to you in that time. Some conflict, psychic conflict that you haven't moved past, right? And the audience and stage thing is all about what you're showing to the world and what's actually going on behind the scenes inside you, right? In your psychological process. So you are both behind the curtain and... And when you're behind the curtain, you see this officer in the Navy who you're afraid of. So I want to remind you that what is behind the curtain, what is in the building that belongs somewhere else in your early life is the conflict that you're trying to work out. And you are afraid of this conflict and you are afraid to try to work it out. But it is only when you're unconscious, the officer in the Navy tells you, I'm your friend. I can help you get out this window. And even though you're in, you're an unfinished piece of work, deep down in your unconscious, that basement, you are finding a way out. And I love that the bathroom reminds you of your window at the new house in Ocean Beach, because where does your Navy man spend his time on the ocean? So I actually feel that there's going to be some sunshine coming up right now. When you Have you moved into the house in Ocean Beach yet? Uh, I've been there since uh, 2009. I'm renting oh. it, I'm, uh, but um, yeah. Okay, so it's it's income property at this point. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I th- I think this dream is full of psychological work that your psyche is busy doing. Would you call uh, the dream really a nightmare? Like, are you afraid of this dream? Do you wake up with chills, wanting to never go back to this dream? Well, no, that was only my only word I can use to say, I remember this thing. Like, I do have dreams that I remember in detail like this. So I call them nightmares because I don't have no other explanation until you told me that they dissipate in the morning and I can't seem to recall them. There are things, the most important thing you said to me, David, is there are things I have to do. And that's why you went back in. So I think you need to get back into whether it's therapy, psychological work, dream therapy, you, there are things you need to do to continue growing. Wow. David, I've got to get to other people, but I love this dream. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. And thank you. Okay, thanks for waiting. Let's go to Mohammed. Mohammed in Los Angeles. This is Dr. Wendy. Hi, Mohammed. are you there? Hi, hi, yeah, I'm here. Thanks for waiting so long. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. You are welcome. Okay. Tell me about your dream. Yeah, my dream was like uh, walking in the campus of Harvard Law School. I mean, I wasn't a student of the law school of Harvard. Okay, so you said you were in real life a student at Harvard Law School? No, no, I was dreaming about that. You just dreaming, dreaming about being a student of Harvard Law Harvard Law School. And in your dream, you walk onto campus. And what happens in the dream? So it was vague, it wasn't clear, but the abstract, the general idea was that I was walking in the in the campus and uh, as uh, as I like as and uh, as I'm trying hard to getting into the law school, I was in the campus mm-hmm. and I was a part. Uh, I mean, I was a member of like the Harvard Law School. Mm-hmm. And what is, what feeling did you have walking in there on that campus? Uh, it, was, uh, it was awesome. I think it, it was the the best feeling I've ever. 
experience. Mm. Because right now I'm trying hard to get into law school. I'm trying. I, I'm studying for my LSAT law school admission test. Oh. And, yeah. Okay, so, so um, let me tell you, it may not be Harvard, and it may be Harvard, but this is your unconscious telling you, calm down. You're going to get into good school, and you're going to have an awesome feeling. This but, is. But the, 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 the time I woke up, sorry for interrupting you, the time I woke up, I thought that that is something unrealistic. I mean, that is something impossible, because uh, I don't have a good background on my history back in my country. I mean... Really bad, and it's always like uh, biting me back. Where are you? Where are you from? Well, I'm originally from Iran. Two years ago, I migrated to the United States. Oh, um, so you've only been here two weeks? Two years? I mean, two years. Yeah. Two years. Welcome. Two years, correct. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm an immigrant too, and let me tell you something. I don't yeah. know how, but my daughter got into Harvard. She's at Harvard right now. Nice. So Perfect. I am telling you, dream big. And I am telling you, never, and everybody listening to me right now, ne- she, she refused to fill out that application, going, why even waste your money? She's very frugal. Why waste your money? It's a throwaway application, Mom. They take less than 5% of the people. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a famous Canadian hockey player named Wayne Gretzky. And I, uh, said, to, yeah. I said to her, you know what Wayne Gretzky says? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And this dream is telling you, study hard for the LSAT and take all the shots out there. Don't let voices inside you say you're not good enough or there's something in your background or whatever. Mohammed, I'm behind you, okay? <laughs> Fill out every application. Uh, okay, we, I didn't want, I didn't think that the uh, dream analysis would go on so long, but there's still a couple people waiting, and they have really good dreams because I'm reading the little profile on the screen. So, uh, that Mohammed, was a, thanks. That was a great honor. That oh, a great, thank great you. Honor. Thank you. Okay, That's talk to you day. soon. When we come back, I have two more dreams and then some news about Kim Kardashian because how can you do a show without news about Kim Kardashian? This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, you are back with Dr. Wendy Walsh. We have time for two more quick dreams for my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. David, you're calling me from Mexico. We go all the way down to Rosarito. Hi, David. We do. Oh, wow. Uh, All right, tell me about your dream. Thanks for waiting so long, by the way. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. The uh, very lucid dreams um, uh, under the care of a physician uh, with a uh, terminally ill disease. Um, oh, wait, is this real detailed. life or is this a dream? No, this is a real life. Oh, um, gosh, I'm which sorry. No, number one uh, uh, side effect of some of the medications is lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. But when the dream is taking place, you're fully aware that you're dreaming and you're kind of like riding an amusement park ride in your dream, like the mm. um, uh, very common of the later days is flying. And um, mm. while I'm flying in the dream, I'm fully aware that I'm flying and saying, hey, you're dreaming and you're flying. See how high you can go or see how fast you can go or uh, kind of like Top Gun, like uh, buzzing the tower and uh, trying to fly in between objects and all mm. of that stuff. Like, but fully aware that you're dreaming. And, and what, that what even when you, emotion would you describe when you're doing that flying? 
uh, definitely not fear. Um, yeah, when I hear you say buzzing the tower, I almost hear like you kind of showing off a little bit. Maybe. Oh. Maybe. Wow. And how much physical pain are you in? You, I'm sorry, did, uh, did you say you have cancer? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, physical pain, probably like a six or a seven, but mm. uh, but uh, that doesn't really um, uh, play into the play into the factor. Except that when you're sleeping or lucid dreaming, your brain yeah. is now able to suppress the physical pain, right? Very good point. Yes. Yeah. So it's like the pain doesn't go away but your brain is doing the work of suppressing it. Um, this is a terrible analogy, David, so forgive me, but it's the only thing I can compare it to. When I was, no, no worries. When I was pregnant, I was like the worst morning sick you could imagine. Like every waking minute, I thought I was going to throw up with nausea, or like, like that awful seasick feeling in the world was swaying. And I used to love to go to sleep because it was the only time I didn't feel nauseous. And I was like, I just want to go to sleep. I, and. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering if part of that is happening. And, you know, who am I to ever say this to a human being? Because you are closer to something big and amazing yeah, yes. than any of us. And I really think we should all just be listening to you and going, hey, man, what's it like there? What's going on? And the dream before... The flying dream, because the flying dream happened three or four days almost in a row. But the dream before that, I awoke in a glass box that was made up of tiny windows where, again, I was aware that I was dreaming. And I was trying to force my eyelids open, and I couldn't. And then I started floating, and I was floating in that box. And I said, all right, you're dreaming. Kind of enjoy this. Uh, So it was sort of a positive feeling. Yes, a very positive. Okay, so we don't have to we don't have to go very deep in the metaphors to imagine what the box might be and your eyes unable to open. But how amazing that you had windows to the world and you knew all. They were all made up of tiny little windows. I could see shadows. I could hear traffic. I could sense that I was floating and like off of the ground inside of the box. Um, Wow. Yeah, it was very, uh, and then the flying dreams came And about. do you know what your prognosis is physically? I, Has anyone? I think I've surpa- uh, surpassed uh, their expectations, so, oh. um, yeah. Okay, David, uh, so let me just say this. Before you float and fly too far away, on your way out the door, would you please just come over to me and say a little something in one of my <laughs> dreams for me? That's it. You I promise? Will. Tell me it's I, tell me it's okay. I'm gonna do some lucid dreaming. So when you do that little flight school and do the buzz by the tower, go to Dr. Wendy Walsh's Dream Life and give me a little buzz and let me know how things are. Okay. That is it. God Thank bless you, so you much. David. Thank you so much for calling. I so appreciate All right. it. All right. Take care. Okay, our final dream. Ooh, oh, I got tears behind my eyeballs there. All right, Peter and Covina. It's Dr. Wendy. Please tell me you had a better dream. <laughs> Hi, Peter, are you there? Uh, hi, Dr. Wendy, yeah. Hi. Tell me about um, your dream. So, so I had a dream that I was, like, living in one of those, you know, the luxury apartments that have, like, stores in them, too? Yep. 
And um, Store, stores at that. the bottom, apartments upstairs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that I was, and that I was outside of a, a patio on the top floor, and I climbed up, and I and I was on the roof, mm-hmm. and um, it felt like, like, kind of like, I don't know, like a mystery feeling, and uh, I see like an old Asian guy slowly walk by with an umbrella, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, and then I just wake up, and I don't normally remember dreams, but mm-hmm. this one just stuck with me, and uh, and um, I just want to know, what do you think? Okay, so you waited a long time, and now, if you can imagine, they're wrapping me up, so I want to say this to you. Uh, luxury, luxury apartments. You're at the top. You've got a view from the roof. You're using your thinking brain at the top to try to understand it, but I think when you look down to the basement, there... Uh, not only is a storehouse of things for you to retrieve, but there might be some Asian wisdom there. And the protection of the umbrella, um, umbrellas protect us, right? Because there was nobody on the roof except for me. Except for you. And that guy. And that guy. Interesting. When you go to sleep tonight, ask that Asian man with the umbrella to come into your dream and speak to you. Because I bet he's All got right. something to say. Peter, thank you so much for calling. All right, <sighs> I don't think we've... Thank you. I don't think we've ever had so many phone calls relating to dreams. And that's why I let it go segment after segment after segment. Uh, but it's every second week. So two weeks from now, we'll do it again. And we generally do two segments, like half an hour. But you guys had so many great dreams. And David and Rosarito. You think he's going to come into my dream one day? I hope so. I'm not going to forget. I don't know. (laughs) I want to know, David. Thank you, everybody, for being with me. It's always a pleasure, and I feel honored and grateful that you're with me during the two hours that I'm here. I'm always here on Wednesdays in the 1 o'clock hour, and if you missed anything, you know, we put the show up on the iHeartMedia app as a podcast. Uh, Joey will put it up tonight, so it'll be there for sure tomorrow. Ah, thanks for being with me. We'll see you next Sunday for sure at 4 o'clock. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640.